At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show, featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement, Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, It becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's with great pleasure that I had the opportunity of welcoming Vicki Zanaver to the show as a special guest today. Vicki is a human resources executive with more than 30 years of experience in Chicago's leading companies. Vicki started her career with only a high school diploma, but she overcame adversity from dealing with a difficult childhood and other personal struggles to eventually juggling work, marriage, parenting, and night school to graduate college and earn her MBA degree. In Authenticity Reawakened, Vicki shares stories of her authentic and unexpected path to the C-suite and the valuable lessons she learned on the way. This practical yet powerful book is designed to help you in your early to mid-career professionals connecting to your life stories, understanding your gifts, and bringing your true authentic purpose to life. Authenticity Reawakened is packed with lessons from Vicki's career, wisdom gathered from countless experts, and simple exercises that'll guide you to open your life story and own it and let you guide your values and purpose, identify the core values that'll guide your future decision-making, and discover your life's purpose. By the end of Authenticity Reawakened, you'll learn to be inspired and take more of yourself to work and build not only a career, but also a life purpose. It's with great pleasure that I welcome Vicki to the show. Welcome to the show, Vicki. Nice to be here. Thanks so much, Jason. I really appreciate that you're having me on the show. It's a pleasure. It really is. I, uh, I got a copy of your book. Great. I must say. I loved looking at it and reviewing it. And my, I always ask this to my authors when they come on the show, but I want to ask you, what prompted you to write Authenticity Reawakened? Well, it's, it's interesting because I really wasn't planning on writing uh, about authenticity at all. And so uh, I do believe that I was inspired and uh, in, in divinely inspired, if you will. But, you know, I had spent many years in corporate America, as your introduction said, And as a child, I always found great comfort in going to the library. Books have been so important to me. And as I got older, I always thought, gosh, wouldn't it be great to be part of that legacy, to have that be part of something that I actually do as well. So when I left, I left um, working in um, March of 2020. And of course, the first thought was, I, I really, now I have time to write this book. And I had no idea what I wanted to write about, but I I kept bumping into people. And every time I would talk to them about wanting to write a book, they would say, you've got to talk to this woman named Melissa Wilson. And honestly, none of these people were connected, but every single person I talked to, even casually, and Chicago is a big city, would say, you've got to talk to Melissa Wilson. So Melissa, I, I met with her and she said, listen, you've got to write about something that you feel passionately about. But why don't you just ask people, what's the hallmark of your leadership? Mm 
So I had already done that, interestingly enough. I had done that weeks before the conversation to Melissa, uh, with Melissa. And um, what I had learned by those discussions was that people felt that I was always very authentic, that I had brought myself to work every day as just a normal person. And as an executive, they felt I was very approachable. They felt that they could trust me, that I said what I meant to say and, and wasn't worried about pretenses or anything like that. So I thought, okay, well, I guess I'll write about authenticity. And so then it became an academic exercise wherein I started doing a lot of research about authenticity. And there's quite a bit of academic research that's been done. And I read hundreds of articles, many, many, many books, uh, watched lots of uh, YouTube videos and all kinds of things, and really got excited about the topic. And ultimately, sort of going full circle, what I learned through this research is, one, there's no true definition of authenticity, uh, that it's a little bit like defining nice. You know, we all, we all know it when we see it, but if we ask the 100 people what nice is, we'd get 100 different definitions. And the other thing is that takes a lot of guts to show up in the world as yourself. And uh, so, so those, that's what I learned from the whole process. And I'm really glad that I decided to write about it. It was a perfect topic at a perfect time for me. Perfect. <laughs> Not to repeat what you said, echo you. You know, I want to ask you this. When you wrote your book and yes. did this project and all the research you did to create what you created here, um, what was the hardest obstacle that you had to overcome within mm. your to create Authenticity Reawakened? Yeah, that is a great question, Jason. So I would say that it was uh, one, making sure that I connected with the, the reader that I was envisioning. That, okay. that was really important. So sort of thinking about what would my uh, target reader want to know and how would I talk to them? So that, that was difficult. And certainly just as we um, experience with any other project that we're embarking upon, getting started is really the hardest part. So when you're writing a book, you start out with an outline and that outline becomes something that is very detailed. So my outline probably took three weeks to write and it was, I think, 17 or 18 pages long. So once you go through the outline, and then once you get the outline, you sort of say to yourself, oh, okay, now I understand how it all goes together. And then the content, there are, of course, days where you're sitting and you sit for six hours and you've written three sentences. So you just have to learn to know that that's part of the process. When I was looking at your book, I, I noticed in your chapter, Connecting the Dots, you referenced Steve Jobs. I wanted to yes. ask you. What do you admire the most about Steve Jobs and what can he teach us about being authentic? Yes. So I admire the fact that Steve Jobs, I think, ultimately accepted that he was a mere mortal um, who had uh, achieved, you know, wonderful things, but that he was on a, he was, he was never fully satisfied. And I think he was a seeker. I think that he was challenged by trying to find himself. I don't think he lived long enough to truly find himself. And um, I think that what I, uh, in terms of, you know, I opened the book with the Steve Jobs um, uh, commencement address at Stanford. What I loved about that particular moment in his life was that you saw this frail person, you know, who had achieved such magnificent things but who was encouraging people to follow the follow your passions and to live an authentic life although i don't believe he ever used the word authentic in his speech but that was one of the things that really stuck with me about that uh, about that time for him so you know like all the rest of us quote mere mortals he was only human and, and there is no such thing as a perfect human being. So he was flawed, just like the rest of us. And I think, um, I, I love that speech. So, uh, you know, I encourage your listeners, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, um, to please listen to that, uh, to that speech that he gave at Stanford. It's a beautiful, beautiful, uh, and inspirational speech. That's so interesting. When you answered that question, the spiritual side of me had goosebumps. I get goosebumps on my body sometimes when you were talking about your answer just now. I got that. That's like reinforcing the information about authenticity and how it applies. And I just, it's very cool. I'm, I'm excited oh. about us discussing this topic today. That's great. 
you mentioned your research earlier about mm-hmm. what it what it's about, like what authenticity is all about. I just want to ask you from your research, what did it tell you about the behaviors about authenticity and how we convey it? Sure. So, you know, again, I would say that it's so personal, but people, people will perceive others as being authentic by certain actions. You know, for example, if you say that you're going to do something and you actually do it, people will say, ah, Jason's authentic. Um, if you, and conversely, if you don't, they will say, ah, he's not authentic. He'll tell you one thing and he'll do completely something else. Um, the, um, it's, it's interesting because I actually am an introvert. I, I get my energy, uh, not but when I'm by myself, but I'm not shy or anything like that. But, uh, introverts feel more authentic when they're acting like extroverts, which is not authentic <laughs> to who they truly are but people will perceive them as being authentic and they will perceive themselves as being authentic. And one of the most important, interesting aspects that I, or uh, facts that I learned is that all of us think that we ourselves are authentic and everybody else isn't. (laughs) So, (laughs) so I thought that that was really interesting too. So, you know, I think that uh, what I try to do and focus on in my book was really to say, it really doesn't matter what other people think of you. That at the end of the day, you have to look yourself in the mirror. You have to live with the actions that you, you know, embarked upon that particular day. And only you know whether or not you're living up to your God-given purpose. And if you listen, and I know a lot of this is, uh, you know, the work that you do so well, Jason, is, but if you listen, I do believe that the universe, whatever you want to call it, speaks to you and lets you know when you're living your purpose and when you're not. Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> I believe heavily in synchronicity, and I've been able to live my best path, I'll call it, based on synchronicity and what I get from my from my spirit guides. And I, I don't mean to use that lingo, but I, I find living for myself, at least being authentic is being true to my own feelings, emotions, and understanding of things and being able to follow through and not be fearful, like living outside my comfort zone, but doing it on a regular basis so that I can grow. That's what I can say in my own perception of what being authentic means to me kind of thing. If it was an essay contest, that's what I would write. There uh, you go. <laughs> I want to ask you this, looking at what you've researched in terms of authenticity how would you um, assess the aspect of one living outside their comfort zone and overcoming their fears in order to become more authentic? So fear gets in the way of us being who we are all the time. And I, I love um, Jack Canfield from the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. He has described fear as being uh, fantasized experiences appearing real. And I think that that's once we can sort of understand fear for what it is and put it in its proper place and move through it. And I do think you have to move through fear, then you can truly get to the other side. And it's like building muscle that once you do that, you start realizing, oh, I'm a lot stronger than I thought, or, oh, now I totally get it. I made up that story in my head. Um, And we do that all the time. So you know, I think that understanding as you think about your own authenticity. So for example, let's just say that there's a social cause that you feel really strongly about, or it could be if you're at work and you feel really strongly about inclusion and diversity, and someone says something that is discriminatory, or you observe somebody doing something that's discriminatory or hurtful to somebody else. You know, and I I share this story because back in the early days of my career, I share this story in the book. So my father was 100% Mexican, but my mother is Irish. So I don't look as dark. A lot of people would say, oh, you look Italian, whatever. So sometimes people at work would say things about Mexican people in my presence because they assumed that I wasn't Mexican. Now, why that would make that acceptable at all, I don't know. But early in my career, I didn't have a voice yet to know how to speak up against that. You know, I knew that it was wrong. I found it very offensive. I spoke to my manager about it, but I didn't have the voice yet to know how to say something about it. 
But as you, and this is why I use the word reawakened in my title, authenticity reawakened, because we grow and learn and grow and learn. We have better tools as we go through life and have better experiences. Later in my career, I found that voice. And, you know, now that would be, I would absolutely know how to talk to somebody in that situation and have done so since then. So I I got a voice to talk about those things, but it takes, it does take time and you have to figure out what are the things that are really worth speaking up for and standing up against. So in my book, I walk people through, first of all, I, I say that authenticity, as I define it, is really knowing who you are, knowing what you stand for, and then showing up in a way that represents that uh, to the extent that you wish to do so. So not everything is something that you would have to disclose at work. As long as you know who you are, you know, um, it's okay if you decide, hey, I'm not going to disclose that at work but I know who I am. But is, if you think about the part that's, you know, know who you are is really about know your life story and know what created you and, and why you feel so strongly about certain things in your lifetime. And each of us has five to seven pivotal life moments that really have made us who we are. And then, and, and we'll have more of those as we go through life. Again, the, that's the reawakening part. And then what are your values? What do you really stand for? And, and how did those values, those are usually derived from your life story. So, you know, the story I shared about the, the uh, diversity uh, component of my life, the importance of me is really because I watched my father as a young child, he would be discriminated, discriminated against many times, all the time, actually. I watched, I watched it. So that really informed who I became as an adult. Uh, and all of us have those stories. And then, you know, if you think about your purpose, what's your purpose? And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that. But this is where I think just diving into now that I know who I am and I know what I stand for, then it's uh, like making sure that you start assessing what am I, what am I going to stand up for next time I'm in a situation? you know, that's really uncomfortable or something I feel strongly about. You can even practice, what am I going to say? So that's sort of what I had to do when I thought about some of those things is, okay, the next time this comes at work, up at work, I'm going to say this. And then you say that and you realize, you know what? Nothing happened. I, I got a positive response out of that. I shouldn't be afraid of, of speaking up because I can still do that in a polite but direct way. And then you start finding your, your voice and that voice gets stronger and stronger. And that's how you really come into who you truly are. That's interesting. And also like pivotal life moments. I'll give you an example, using myself as a reference. Please. Three years ago, I uh, overcame kidney cancer. And that was, uh, I believe, uh, one of my most pivotal life moments for myself. It was stage one. The procedure was fine. But after I went through that experience internally, it shook my world and it made me I did a lot of life transitions, you know, ended a long-term relationship, switched up a, a business relationship, lost 55 pounds, Wow! pursued my passions more as a psychic and with my podcast, all those things at the same time, not with pain, not without some pain and some setbacks, but I think for me, I feel lighter now. Yes. Uh, I want to ask you this, and I, I bring that up in the, the reference of where we're going with my question. What do you think the pandemic has done as a major life moment? or transition to help members of our audience Mm -hmm. pursue and understand authenticity more? Yeah. You know, so I think that this time has given us all uh, something to think about. So for example, you know, um, having, having dinner with your family or your loved ones uh, that you probably weren't able to do that before. I know I certainly was, wasn't able uh, a lot of times to do that. I think that just that simple act of sitting down and having dinner with the people that you care about is important now. And I think people see that. Uh, I think obviously, you know, uh, employers are going to have to start thinking about, gosh, you know what, people can work at home and be productive. Um, you know, I think, um, I think the, the times that we have alone, uh, do actually make you look more inward. And there has been a lot of solitude for us, even because Zoom is not the same kind of interaction. So I do think, you know, these alone times sometimes can give us a moment of deep reflection. 
Uh, I think it, it tells us what's working and what's not. Um, I think what will happen for a lot of people is people will go back to work and it'll just be the same old thing if that's what we let happen. But I would urge your listeners to take stock right now of what's really most important to you to retain it when, you know, in a post-pandemic world, what are the things that you got to experience now that you just really don't want to give up? And then find a voice to talk to, you know, your, your employer, your manager, whoever about uh, continuing some of those things in the future and why it's productive for you to do so. Um, I worry about people who have addictions because there are a lot of people that had manageable addictions before, you know, they would um, use whatever it was, their drug of choice or alcohol um, when they were at home after work. And, and now that people are home all day long, those temptations, I think, are much stronger. And I worry about that. And my parents were both alcoholics, so I understand a bit about that. So I worry about that, you know, I mean, my job before was I was a chief human resources officer. And so I get asked these questions a lot, but there's a lot to be concerned about. But I will say, just like anything else, know what is important to you. You know, so for example, if you say, I want to be healthier, I want to be there for the people that I love, then even with those two simple seemingly simple statements, then, okay, what are you going to do to be healthier in the future? What are you going to do to be there for the people that you love? And for goodness sakes, put the phone down. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. How do you think we could build a legacy for ourselves? Yeah, I love this concept of legacy. Well, first of all, we are all building a legacy for ourselves, even if we don't think about it. Um, one day we won't be here and people will you know, be talking about us or thinking about us. In the book, I talk about Brian Floriani, who he was a wonderful man. And in fact, um, Jason, you look a little bit like Brian. I do. But <laughs> uh, yes. So Brian uh, was at his father and his grandmother both passed away on the exact same day. And he was at their wake or their funeral and they were eulogizing um, these two very dear people to Brian. And he said that he was sitting there and he was thinking about, they're saying amazing, beautiful things about my grandmother and my father. And they're all true. Everything that they're saying is true. And when it's my time to be, for it to be my funeral, I know people will say nice things, but I don't know if they're going to be true. And when, so I just got goosebumps and I get goosebumps every time I hear that story, Jason, because Brian start, started thinking about, he was very wealthy, you know, by most uh, comparisons and he had all the material things, but he said, you know, I have success. What the way it would be defined outside, you know, success is defined by most people, but he said, but do I have significance? And so he has talked a lot about the difference between success and significance and what he did then was that he actually created uh, Bernie's book bank in honor of his father, who was named Bernie, and has delivered millions of books to children uh, in the Chicagoland area. And that's Brian's legacy. Now, we all obviously can't, you know, aren't going to go and do amazing things like that. And, and, but we don't have to think about it that way. But if you think about, was I a great friend? That is a legacy. Was I a great parent? son, daughter, whatever it might be. Did I help somebody uh, in their time of need and didn't expect anything in return? Um, you know, did I, did I show up in this world? And this is where for me personally, I wouldn't want to be at the end of my life and look back and say, you know, I was really successful because I showed up as somebody I'm not, you know? That's a great point. Absolutely. It's like, I always say, from my vantage point, being spiritual, that you can't take your wealth with you to the other side. Mm -mm. You don't, when you transcend, your spirit goes, the rest of this stays here in, yes. in the soils of the earth. So for me, looking at what's the next step in our existence and transcending, I always feel like our relationships are what matters most. Our yes. time spent, not wasted, spent. The amount of time we spend in meaningful endeavors that matter. Us doing this interview today, 
We're both passionate about this topic. We're enjoying our conversation for our yes. audience. And that's the best way to spend an hour today for me. And I, I believe, I, I understand what you're saying when you say legacy and, I, and it resonates really well with me in, in, mm -hmm. in doing things that make a difference in the lives of those within your orbit, but also mm -hmm. filling all the roles that you should fill and doing so in a way that's, that's true to yourself. Absolutely. Well said. I was going to say that if there's listeners in our audience, and I know we were talking about from, from a job point of view, but if we had listeners in the audience that hate their job, I have people call me up for reading sometimes that are like, how can I get another job? I hate this work environment. What do I need to do? I wanted to ask you, what steps would you recommend that they should do to change their circumstances? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, especially now, although I do think that uh, we're getting into a, basically a buyer's market as it relates to, to looking for, for jobs and work. But, you know, it's easy to say, I hate my job. And I would ask when people in the past have said that to me, I would say, okay, well, what are you doing to make your current workplace different? That's a, one easy thing. Is, is there something that you can change about how you show up at work? that would make it a little bit more enjoyable. You know, I certainly don't advocate for anyone to just quit their job because, you know, you need, you need to have a, a paycheck and, and all of that. But I would say, don't spend your time complaining about your situation because that really doesn't serve you well. I would say, ask yourself and put it on paper. And I, I have a, a a leadership coaching practice. And I go through this with my clients too, but ask yourself, what do you want? And a lot of times we're really good at talking about what we don't want, but we're not very good about saying what we do want. So what would a new quote job look like for you? What, you know, what do you want to experience? What do you want to do? Where do you want to work? Put it on paper. And I've done this exercise years ago, I think around 2009, I had left a company I'd been at for 26 years. My values no longer matched that company anymore. And I wasn't, I decided not to be there anymore. And it was at the height of the financial crisis. So I literally asked myself, where physically do I want to work geographically? Where do I want to work? What kind of people do I want to work with? What do I want to do? What am I really good at? Uh, and and then with those things in mind, then I sort of embarked upon looking for a new position. And you have to understand that it does take time. Um, what did, you know, what did you really, what do you really like about the position that you have now that you would want to keep? And, and, you know, how would you talk about yourself in the future? You know, what do you have to offer and, uh, and that type of thing. And also I even got down to when I was looking myself, what, how much money do I have to make? <laughs> because you can sometimes, you know, if you're making more, you can say, you know what, I'm willing to step back a little bit. If I can, you know, we talked about how do we want to show up if I can have a little bit more time to do other things that I really care about. Um, so it sounds very methodical. And frankly, it is. Um, there is no easy path to finding a career that you truly love. It just takes a lot of trial and error. But the first thing I would say is, Ask yourself what it is that you want. Focus on the positive instead of the negative is what I'm getting from what you're saying. Focus on what you need, what you want, not, oh, I don't like this job because I don't like this because, of, you know, that kind of thing. It's just trash yeah. talking yourself and it's not helping anything. Yeah, it's very, it's very easy to get stuck in the negative parts of it. And, you know, again, I would say whenever you're sort of um, and listen, we're all human beings and we get stuck sometimes like that. We all have bad days and it's okay to vent, find a trusted person and, and vent to them, but don't make it the norm, you know, start looking forward instead of backwards. And if you're talking about negative, just know that that, that aura is going to surround you. So you want to stay positive and say, you know what? Hey, I want to go towards something that's a lot more exciting to me. Absolutely. I know we brought up, uh, the, the role that fear plays in our lives. I was going to ask you the follow-up. How do you think we can manage our fears in order to overcome it and overcome them so that we can live a more authentic path? Well, you know, I, in my book, I give you a lot of exercises uh, and there's a lot of, I'll call it typical fears when it relates to work, but I would say, name your fear. First of all, know what you're, what you are afraid of, because a lot of times we sort of get to where we say, you know what? I can't do such and such, but we never say I'm afraid of this because of that. 
you know, we just say, I, I can't do it, or they'll never want me. It, it's always masked in some other, and some other sort of, uh, we, we sort of build a story around it. Uh, but n- name your fear. And once you name your fear, then your fear already has less power over you because you've already taken upon, you know, upon yourself to, to name it. And then you just have to deconstruct it and say, oh, okay, I'm afraid. Well, I will just say, sometimes we're afraid of really being successful too. That's one of the biggest fears because that's going to change your life. But when you know that, when you say, you know what, now that I've sort of sat with this for a little while, I'm afraid of succeeding because I'm going to have to leave my kids. I, you know, I'm worried about my marriage, uh, whatever it might be. And then you say, okay, now that I know that, are there some things that would make this new role okay for me? Or, you know, I, years ago, I actually walked away from an amazing opportunity because when I deconstructed it, I said, you know, it's not worth it. I'm not, I'm not afraid of succeeding for a a reason other than I don't want my life to change because I think it's really good the way it is. But again, you know, my book does help you identify fear and work through it. Um, and, and that was really important to me because I think once you do that, you're just going to be amazed at how little fear actually, um, can, um, hold you back if you don't let it. I think fear could be the most paralyzing aspect of our lives. It is. There's so many, there's so many things about fear that cause us to cringe inside ourselves and, and, and state like basically being stationary and not taking risk or not looking at things from a larger point of view and kind of zooming out and, and looking beyond your current situation. So I think fear is pivotal. And if we can manage it, yes. not only can we become more authentic, but I think we'll probably be happier in our life existence as well. <laughs> oh, you bet. Absolutely. And you'll be empowered to help other people. And you know it when you see it too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you think one can increase authenticity in the work environment? Well, you know, again, I'm going to go back to knowing what your values are, knowing what's really important to you. And once you know that, then I believe that that's when you can start saying, you know what, this is, these are the moments in my life, whether it's at work or otherwise, that I am going to start showing up as myself. So, you know, for example, and and a lot of times, you know, I didn't write this book for leaders, so to speak, you know, there may be another book in my future because good leaders will call upon people and try to bring who they truly are, you know, into the workplace, you know, they'll, they'll encourage you. Hey, listen, just tell me what you feel, Jason. I really want to know. Um, but we don't always have great leaders too. Um, but you know, decide what's important to you. So for example, if, inclusion and diversity is important to you, then join your business resource councils at work and say, you know what, this is really important to me. And then talk about it. You know, what, what are you going to say? You can even develop a little elevator speech that, that will say, you know, um, this is really important to me. I know that will be a better workplace when we do this and then say it. And you'll be surprised that most people are going to say, wow, I really appreciate you doing that. Or if it's, Uh, you know, you feel like your boss doesn't really support you. And sometimes people do feel that. Uh, I would say, you know, find, say, okay, I understand my boss doesn't support me, but the way I can address this at work is to go into, make time with my manager and say, you know what, when you do this, whatever that is, I don't feel supported. And I'm just wondering if you can help me understand what I need to do differently, or am I misinterpreting your behavior or your attitude. And again, that's a very, you know, sort of it's it's direct and to the point. Uh, And most managers will either say, well, yeah, I think you're terrible at what you do, or they'll say, oh gosh, you've misunderstood, you know, or let's work through it. If you have conflict with people, conflict is another thing that comes up in the workplace all the time. So my book walks through, I call it an intentional, compassionate conflict model that I created, but it has eight little steps in it. But how do you address conflict with people? So at work, a lot of times conflict comes up and instead what what we do is we build walls around ourselves and we just say, oh, you know what? I'm not going to work with Jason anymore. He's a real jerk and I'm not going to, I'm just going to avoid him (laughs) or whatever. Um, instead, I would say, instead of being that person, then say, you know what, I'm actually going to use this model and I'm going to talk to Jason and figure out how we can work more effectively together. You know, you know? what I, 
what I find that's interesting in, in our, our discussion of authenticity today is, and the work environment, the role that communication plays oh, in becoming authentic with yourself and authentic with others. It sounds like you really have to have strong communication and interpersonal skills in order to effectuate your goals of authenticity. Would that be accurate based on your understanding? Yes, but I would, I would say, and I wouldn't want somebody who maybe feels that they're uh, less skilled in communications to feel like, okay, well, there goes my chance at being authentic. Uh, so this goes back again to once you know yourself and what's really important to you. And again, I hope that my book helps you. That was my full intention when I wrote it. It, once you know what's important to you, then finding those ways, even if you're not great at communication, you know, as an executive, I always talk exactly the way I talk. I'm talking to you right now, very conversational, et cetera. If I had just told myself years ago, well, you can only be an executive if you talk like a Harvard MBA, and I'm never going to talk like that. So I can never be an executive. Um, that's what we do all the time. So if you, if you say to yourself, you know what, I have good intentions. I know what my intention is and I'm just going to say it, say it how I would say it in my own natural voice. And I also, the other thing is sometimes we have expectations of how other people should respond to us. And that's really none of our business. Uh, you know, you want, you want your boss, of course, you, you want to demonstrate respect with your colleagues and, and other people that you know in your life. Of course, you want to be respectful and kind and polite. But if you, once you do all those things, you know, like today, Jason, you could walk away and say, oh my gosh, I really can't stand that woman. That's none of my business. But my business is to just show up as myself and your business is to do the same and hopefully we connect. And we have, so thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. You mentioned earlier um, the international compassionate conflict model. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, for a layperson in our audience, understand what that means. What, how would you break that down in, in layperson terms for them to kind of understand what it, what it entails and, and how it could benefit them in their own pursuit of authenticity? Okay. Well, so first of all, I just want to say that uh, conflict is something that we experience all the time. And so I call this the intentional, compassionate conflict model. And so the reason oh, why, okay. and I make, that's okay. And that, but it, it can be international too, Jason. No problem. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> but so the way, it, and I made it up because uh, I've had lots of conflict and I actually, I know your intro uh, and I have had over 30 years, but I actually worked for 42 years. So I've had experienced a lot of conflict at work uh, and in my personal life too. But I start the, the eight steps. Our first step one is state your intention. So, you know, you could say, Jason, I really want us to have a better relationship than we have today. And then describe what has happened to maybe make it less positive than you would like. You know, it seems like you and I are always bumping heads every time we come into a meeting. And I really need to understand that a little bit more clearly. And then you could describe how you were impacted how you were impacted. So that's step three. You know, every time that happens to, uh, to me, Jason, I just feel like I can't win with you. And I don't know how to get past this. And then number four is describe your feelings. Um, I feel like a loser every time I'm with you because you're a lawyer and and you're psychic and (laughs) I don't have those skills and I feel like a real loser. And I, and I, and I'm really starting to feel like I, I can't ever, um, engage with you as a colleague. So that would be sort of an example. And then ask for, ask, ask for an explanation. So Jason, can you tell me what's going on with you? And then you, then you stop talking and you just listen for the other person to talk about what they're going through, you know, and maybe it's that Jason's gone through a really difficult time lately and he's just not able to engage with anybody or he misunderstood something that you did three years ago (laughs) and he's never forgotten it and he's carried it with him and whatever. And those things happen sadly all the time. All the time. Yes. So, so step um, six is really just listening and then sort of uh, hearing what the other person is saying. And then step seven is describing what would make it better or right. And I will just have to tell you in all conflict, you know, as the head of human resources in the past, when people would have conflict with each other, I would say, well, what will make it right? And 
usually 99% of the time they hadn't thought about what would make it right. They only thought about what was making it wrong. So I love this question. What will make it right? So I would say, Jason, you know what? I'd really appreciate it. Next time we're in the meeting, it would feel like you could stop and hear my point of view before you hop in. Or, you know, I really appreciate it if you could let me help you. It seems like you always want to do all the work yourself or whatever it might be. And then at the step eight is actually expressing gratitude. And this kind of sort of sets the stage for forward engagement. So Jason, I really appreciate that you took this time to you know be so candid with me. And I hope that we can work differently in the future. So that's how the model works. I love that. It's Thanks. actually it's actually like an outline of how to approach someone in the work environment that you need to overcome conflict with or how to bring yourselves more aligned with one another. And I like the way you, you kind of walked us through that just now. I think our audience should definitely pay attention to that. And obviously uh, read your book. Yeah, get my book. I hope, I hope it helps. Uh, let me, you know what? This is a great moment to ask you. If uh, our audience wants to reach out to you directly, where would you <laughs> recommend they find you and also to order your book? Oh, sure. So uh, you can find me at vickiesnaver.com. So that's V-I-C-K-I-Z-N-A-V-O-R.com. Um, I'm on all the socials. So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, but I do write a blog every week about whatever it is that I'm thinking about at the time and something that I think might help our help the, the readers. And you can find my book on Amazon and also uh, at Barnes & Noble on, online. Excellent. Excellent. We did discuss the five pivotal moments of our lives earlier, life moments. Mm -hmm. How would you recommend if someone's listening to this show right now and they're like, hmm, pivotal life moments. I'm 25. What are my pivotal life moments? I don't know what I'm going to do. How do I find my, like, what would you recommend to somebody <laughs> to help them identify at the stage they're at in their life, what their pivotal life moment might be? Yeah. So I will tell you that, um, so to the 25 year olds, you've already had some pivotal life moments and you know that already. But so for example, when I was in first grade, I had my first, one of my first pivotal life moments in that uh, my family wasn't known for supporting me and doing my homework. And I did my homework. I don't remember what we kind of homework we had in first grade, but we had it. And it was so unusual that I would do my homework that the entire class clapped. And I never have forgotten that moment. From that moment on, I became very studious because I, I, uh, had a moment where I saw, you know what, there's rewards with doing your homework. And I will say that that has held true. There really are rewards for doing your homework. <laughs> so my whole life, I've always been the person who did her homework school. I was very studious and all that. But if that, if, think about first grade, if that class hadn't clapped for me and I hadn't had that experience, I might not, it might have taken years for me to ever become a studious child because I wasn't in a, in a home situation where that was overly important. So, you know, and you, sometimes, you know, losing a parent, losing a friend, my, my daughters, when they were younger, lost a classmate when they were in second grade. That's a pivotal life moment when you are facing mortality at such a young, young age. So you have experienced them. Now, maybe you would say, well, I don't have five or seven. And I will say with everything in my book, it's not about, you know, do I have five, do I have three, do I have 12? It doesn't matter. It does matter though that, and I'll tell you how you'll know when you're done creating your list of pivotal moments is when you look at those moments and you really, really look at them. And first of all, I will say, you have to write them down because if you don't write them down, it's going to be something that goes in your mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when this happened and, you know, but I do encourage you to write down because then you see it. And when you see it, you can sort of experience it. And when you experience it, then you can kind of work through how that experience sort of created, you know, very important values for you. I'm a, a visual learner. So when you say write it down, I got vision boards in my, uh, in my room. I write down things all the time on dry erase boards. So I completely understand what you're saying there. Yes. Yes. What would you say to someone in our audience that's interested in wanting to know how they can find out what their life purpose is? Well, I give you some uh, tools to use in my book to, to do that. And when I talk about life purpose, 
I'm not talking about a job. So a lot of times we'll say, someone might say, well, I think my life purpose is to be an accountant or a lawyer or whatever it is. And that's not what I think purpose is at all. So I asked the reader to explore three statements. The first statement is I want. So when I ask you, what do you want in your life right now? Like, what do you want in your life? So for myself, as an example, I say that I want to be happy. And you know what? Happiness is is really uh, a wonderful part of life if you can truly be happy. I want to be happy and I want to be healthy. I want to work with people that I truly respect. And I want to be present for the people that I love. Now, I will tell you, so I'm 60 years old now. So being healthy is so important to me. So when I walk in and I've got my little vision board right in front of me, and just so you know, I'm telling you the truth, it's always right in front of me. And um, when I look at that healthy word, the second word, I want to be healthy, I, I think to myself, oh, how, how, is that, how am I going to make that come true? Well, I have to eat well. I have to exercise. I hate exercising so much. I can't even talk about it. Um, and when we talk about, you know, probably 99% of us would say, I want to be present for the ones we love. Well, what, how does that show up? So it's like, okay, when I'm talking to my husband or my children, I'm going to put the phone away. I'm going to look them in the eye. I'm going to try to hear them. I'm reading a book, by the way, called the art of listening by Julia Cameron. It's really wonderful. I'd like to recommend that to all of you just about how listening truly is an art. And we've lost that we're all over the place, but being present for people that you love really takes work. So that's the first I want statement. And remember, I didn't say I did what things I don't want. I talked about the things I do want. The second statement is when I'm at my best. So I ask you, the reader, to describe when you're at your best, what does that look like? And I will tell you that when I'm watching uh, people who are working at what they love, there is no better face than that face. Um, and you know, that gives me goosebumps and it will always, it always has made me so happy when you see somebody in the zone and they're just lost in their work. How wonderful. So what I say is when I'm at my best, I know that I can love, inspire, help, enable others to be who they are and to do their best work and to bring their purpose to life. And interestingly enough, you know, now I have more years behind me than I have ahead probably, but, um, I know that in some way, even though I didn't know that in some way, many, most of the work that I've done in my career has been that about that, about helping others do their best work. I just didn't know why. And now the older I get, it's becoming more obvious why. And then the last statement is saying what you believe. What do you believe in? You know? So I believe that when people live their purpose and when they show up as themselves, that they're able to pay it forward to other people. And that when we do that, the world really will be a better place. So that's my why. You're speaking my language, pay it forward. I I (laughs) love that. I love that. I really do. I really do. It's true. It's very true. Absolutely. Let's say someone's listening to the show right now and they have the podcast on or, you know, in the future, they're watching the YouTube video when we finally get uh-huh. up. Let's say that they're thinking to themselves, I've been at this job for like three years. I've made it through the pandemic, getting into the summer of 2021. Should I leave or should I stay? Should I stay or should I go? What do I do? What would you recommend to that person? I would say, ask yourself if you should stay or if you should go. First of all, if you're asking yourself if you should stay or you should go, it probably means you want to go. <laughs> but because <laughs> most people who are who are really fulfilled in their positions at in at work um, aren't asking if they should stay or should go. So that would be a first clue. But also it would be, you know, go back to to the basics. What do I want to do that wants to, what do I want to do with my work? Am I able to do it today in my work? And sometimes I know, you know, when I've had people on my teams and and things like that, you know, I, I'm not a, I wasn't a mind reader. Uh, You are better at that than I am, but but I wasn't a mind reader. So if there's something else that you would like to do, mention it to your manager and say, you know what, I'd really like to try such and such, but you have to do the work of figuring out what that is. You know, you can certainly ask yourself, ask your manager, is there something else that you would see me doing? But don't get lost in that because a lot of people let other people decide for them what they should be and what they should do. 
So own your life and say, these, you know, it's really important for me to do this next thing. And, and then go about talking to people who are already doing that, talking to your manager about how maybe you can make that happen in some regard at where you're at. But if, you know, if you're in a situation, for example, where you don't respect your manager mm. or, you know, or you don't feel like your manager respects you and there's just no winning, if you will, then I would say, you know, go to the work of figuring out what do I want to do and then start taking small steps. I have a friend who's very, very capable of doing way more, but she spends a lot of time complaining about what it is that she, where she's stuck. And I always say, take one step a day and then you've taken 365 in a year. You don't have to take 365 in one day, but you do have to know where it is that you want to go. And the only person that can do that is you. Wow. That's profound. Think about it. If you take it and break it into little pieces, just like anything, it's not as burdensome. It's not as much of an obstacle. It becomes more of a a process that you can work through and strategize through. I think that'd be great for someone to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Take, take their goals, break them into small steps for, you know, if they want to switch careers or find another environment for work and Mm -hmm. break them into little pieces and pursue them. Yeah. And, and also know that if it doesn't go perfectly, you know, not, not everything is linear. It's okay. Yeah. Be, be flexible. Take, take some time and talk to people who are doing what you think you might want to do because, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side too. So that, you know, start making a name for yourself by uh, engaging with people who do those other things and, and see where it goes. How would you suggest we should plan our next steps? Put them on paper. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's, I, it doesn't sound very glamorous, but honestly, you know, if you think about, you know, I'll use the losing weight, for example, and I know that this, but it's just the most basic that I can sort of think that one time or another, we all can relate to this, but whatever it is you want to do. So be very specific, you know, I want to lose 20 pounds then. So that's your, that's your objective. Fine. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to need to start cutting calories. So that's one step. I'm going to need to start working out. Maybe I could do that three days a week. Okay, great. I'm going to do that. Uh, you know, I'm going to, uh, be, uh, try to practice more mindfulness and being thoughtful about what I eat. Okay. So there are some steps and then it's just a matter of doing those things that you said. And if you it, you know, of course, like dieting, if you don't, if it's not perfect, you know, don't expect perfection of yourself. If it's not perfect. It's okay. When you fall off the, you know, a little bit, just get back on track. And, and that's how life goes with everything. Roll with the punches. Roll with the punches. Don't let them knock you down. Don't, don't, <laughs> Go don't with the flow. <laughs> and, and, yes. And you know what? The other thing is, is a lot of times, Jason, we knock ourselves down before yeah. anybody else even has a chance to do that. It's like, it's almost like if you were a boxer in a match, it's basically like you're falling down on the ground and punch yourself in the eye before the other person (laughs) throws a punch at you. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's to give y'all a little bit of encouragement too. You know, I started out as like a secretary in a large global organization. I had no degree and I just kept saying to people, you know, I knew I was capable of doing more, but it took me 15 years of night school um, while I was raising my kids and and all of that to get a degree. And I would just say, Hey, can I do something else? You know, I'm, I'm kind of bored with just doing this. Is there something else I can do? And they kept giving me plenty of work to do. And before you knew it, I started becoming more of an expert on some things. And, and then, you know, one time, one of my managers um, who was kind of not the best person, I, I suggested that maybe I could become a tax analyst. And he started laughing at me and he said, you'll never be a tax analyst. And um, I just thought, so I, this is why I want to encourage um, the listeners is I thought to myself, you know what, I will show you. And so... <laughs> Uh, so, uh, and luckily I never did become a tax analyst just to give you, you the story. Better. <laughs> I became way higher and actually I, I ended up being higher than him. And that was best. <laughs> That's gotta be rewarding by itself. It was. <laughs> and these things happen to us. So don't let somebody else tell you what you can be, but also don't give that power to somebody else to tell you what you can be too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We're coming, we're already coming to the end of the interview. If you could believe how fast that flowed, it just, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you this, and this isn't anything about your book, but I'm I asked all my guests. So if you heard one of my prior episodes, you probably know this one already, but if you were a spirit animal, which spirit animal would you be? And why I'll go first. I always say I'm an owl. Cause I have two parrots. I like birds. I believe in looking at things from a 360 point of view. 
Uh, I love wisdom and the pursuit of it. And I pride myself on, on, on gaining wisdom as much as possible with all my endeavors in life. Wow. That is beautiful. Well, my first humorous answer would be, I want to be my dog because he's very (laughs) spoiled, but I would say, I would say also probably some type of bird, because I think that, um, you know, the, the, the idea of being able to fly and to go wherever you wanted and to, to, as you said, so beautifully to have this bird's eye view, if you will, of, of things I think is, is wonderful. So probably a bird. Um, I haven't really ever thought about it much, Jason, but now you've given me a lot to think about. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, I really appreciate you coming on today and, and sharing, you. your, sharing your book, Authenticity Reawakened. I just want to thank Vicki for coming on the show today and sharing her new book, Authenticity Reawakened. One of the best things to do when we have these kind of interviews is have a unique and fresh perspective, look at something that probably we may not consider on our own. Most of us think of the word authentic and we always aspire to hope that our relationships are authentic, that our emotions are authentic, that our beliefs are authentic. Authentic is obviously subject to multiple interpretations. It's kind of like the Rorschach inkblot test. You can look at it and see a different thing and someone else will look at it completely differently. What I like about Vicki's book, she took her wealth of experience as an executive and human resources, and she took her personal story of empowerment, overcoming obstacles, becoming something and someone that she can look very proudly at and say, you know what? You can't knock me down. I'm authentic and I'm living my true path. And it's not going to matter when I'm done. My life purpose is going to be what it is. I've, I've identified the strategies and the approaches that I believe helped me to live my authentic path. And I've created a book to highlight that strategy and those approaches for each of you. So I will say this, check out Authenticity Reawakened. It's a great book. It's the path to owning your life story and fulfilling your purpose. Look it up, check it out, go on Amazon, go on Vicky's website. I really do think you'll enjoy reading this book and gaining the insight that we've discussed today. And I really challenge each of you to do that. One of the subplots to our discussion today is being true with yourself, being able to look at yourself and say, am I happy? Do I fulfill the purpose in in life that I, I desire? Looking at your core values. And if you're not happy and if you're not content, taking the steps, even if it means breaking it down the little steps every day and implementing change. Think of those things as we go into the summer as we're coming out of this pandemic, and there might be some growth that you can encounter just from the concepts we discussed today. Internalize those things. And if you feel that you don't have an education that you want to go back to school, follow Vicky's example. Go to night school. Time is irrelevant when you're pursuing your passion. We're going to have more content coming up for the show. I welcome anyone who would like to ask any questions or have any recommendations. If you'd like to reach out to Vicky, you can reach out to her directly. More importantly, if you'd like to reach out to me, info at the letter D, socialpsychicradio.com is how you can reach out to me personally. And always remember, stay positive because when you're positive, anything's possible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. With the Baker's Plus Card, it's easy to get lower than low prices. For the win! Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus Card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. Touchdown.
On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid.